This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN Studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the 16th day of August, 2023. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all our great curated podcasts. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right. Happy Wednesday. We are moving through the week. We are halfway by lunchtime, uh, which is a a good deal all the way around. Um, Heading for the weekend, heading for church on Sunday. Hope you're planning on attending this week. It's important for you to be in church. It really is. I can't stress that enough. All right. What do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, and then we have our study Bible-level Bible study. Today we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 23. We're getting into a little bit of the minutia of the law, and, and that's kind of an interesting thing. We were looking at the Sabbath year yesterday. We've been looking at, at some of the sacrifices and stuff. We get back into that again today. Um, we actually look at slavery a little bit today. So got some interesting stuff coming on and what's going on in, uh, in Israel, uh, back in the law and, and what was God's intent and God's, God's instruction. And this is, uh, useful for us as we, uh, look at how we are to live our lives. Um, because while the, Specific instances of the law are different. God's holiness is unchanging. So we'll talk about that a little bit. I'm wearing my Christ Not Caesar shirt this morning, which I uh, I uh, ordered when I pre-ordered the DVD for The Essential Church. Um, the Essential Church is available for purchase on DVD now. Uh, pre-order still. They haven't shipped them out yet. They're supposed to ship soon, I believe by the end of August. I'd have to have to check again. Um, saw it in the theater. Great documentary. If you have not seen The Essential Church, if it's playing somewhere near you, go check it out. Otherwise, um, my understanding is that shortly after the DVDs ship, they will be um, launching streaming. So you'll be able to stream it online. You'll be able to order the DVD. Um, I think the the limited theater run is probably, you know, coming to a close. Uh, I you know it's not it's not a great blockbuster movie like Mission Impossible, um, but boy, it's an important movie. Um, even The Sound of Freedom, you know, that's a drama. Documentaries, you're not going to get really big <laughs> theater presence for a documentary, um, but 
boy, it was it was good. It was good to see it in the theater. And it's definitely some important stuff. Um, good things going on about, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, one of the lawyers <laughs> uh, for Grace Church was Jenna Ellis, and she is one of the uh, quote-unquote co-conspirators and has been indicted in that Fulton County case in Georgia against President Trump. Uh, I've been trying to avoid talking about it, but it's just such a big story on the news. Um, we'll probably revisit it again on Monday Meanderings, just to warn you. I've got some other stuff to talk about. I do not going to spend the entire episode talking about the Trump indictments. I think I've made my opinion clear. These are purely political, meaning that if Donald Trump was not running for president, none of these prosecutors would be bothering to, to run these cases because um, they're, they're going to be costly. They're going to be you know, time-consuming. This is all about derailing his presidential campaign. And while he is not my first choice for the Republican nominee, right now, looking at the poll numbers, it looks like he is going to be the nominee. And if he is the nominee for the Republican Party, I'm going to vote for him because he's better than anything the Democrats are going to be running. You know it and I know it. Let's be honest. Um, not a perfect man. I don't believe he's a Christian. Um, somebody <laughs> said on Twitter yesterday, I saw it when uh, Justin Peters shared it, but somebody said something about he needs to, uh, he needs to, uh, call upon his spiritual advisor, Paula White, to uh, cast out these demons of prosecution that are indicting him all over. The it was pretty funny. Um, the, the, the theology of Trump's White House advisors was more than questionable. Um, you know, Paula White's a charlatan. You know, and I don't care that you know, Jonathan Cain, her husband, is Journey's piano player. Uh, he's a great piano player. He's not a theologian. And some of the stuff that he said in response to her preaching is scary. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> okay. And none of that has anything to do with Deuteronomy 15, which is going to be our topic today. All right, well, let's begin with our prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Then we'll get into John MacArthur's daily readings for the life of Christ, and then we'll jump into Deuteronomy. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. 
Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, daily readings from the life of Christ. We are looking today at Jesus and non-retaliation, dignity. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Matthew 5.39b Dr. MacArthur writes, God has created every human being in his image, and therefore he demands that we treat one another with basic respect, dignity, and consideration. But in a sinful world, this will not always happen, so believers can expect to suffer persecution simply because of their basic testimony. Matthew 10, 16 through 23, John 15, 18 through 16, 3. This leaves one inevitably, this leaves one inevitable issue to deal with. How should Christians respond to ridicule, insult, or physical abuse? The Lord Jesus, of course, is the perfect example of how to behave when personally attacked. When the Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers physically abused him and mocked him prior to his crucifixion, he did not react in word or action. Matthew 26, 67, 68. As Jesus hung from the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, 34. Peter summarizes well how we should respond in view of Christ's example. When you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2, 20 through 23. Ask yourself, when have you succeeded in practicing this kind of self-control and restraint? What happened as a result? Even if it left you feeling misunderstood and stepped upon, what value did do you experience from obeying what Jesus has commanded? All right. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 23. Again, we're going to break this up. Um, we'll be looking at uh, 12, through, 12 through 18 and then 19 through 23. So let me read 12 through 18. If your brother, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year you shall let him go to be free from you. When you let him go to be free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him generously from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as Yahweh your God has blessed you, 
And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God redeemed you. Therefore I am commanding you this today. And it will be that if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you, then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also, you shall do likewise to your maidservant. It shall not seem hard in your sight when you let him go to be free from you, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So Yahweh your God will bless you in whatever you do. So this is talking about slavery. And remember that this is, we, we talked about this before, this slavery is far different from the chattel slavery that we think of in the American South prior to the Civil War, actually in all the English colonies that became the states. Um, I think the, the first place where, uh, I mean, remember, you know, slavery was legal in all 13 colonies um, because the English were, you know, importing slaves from Africa to work in the New World. So you had, you know, Caribbean plantations, you had the southern plantations in the United States, you had industrial labor in the north, um, as well as working farms and such. Um, I mean, uh, Tituba, the, the famous um, slave in Salem, Massachusetts, that got caught up in the witch trials in the 1690s, you know, was a slave in Massachusetts. A slave, incidentally, owned by Puritans. It's The, the Puritans are an interesting case. I, I, I am very much um, indebted to Puritan theology. There were some brilliant people in the Puritans, um, but they were flawed human beings. And they were products of their time and product, you know, it, it's, it, it really is, as I, I've said before, it's, the, it's the, the fish feeling wet thing. We, we grow up in a culture, in a society, in a um, atmosphere, and we just adopt by osmosis much of the attitudes of the culture around us without really examining them. And even the most introspective of us have adopted many, many things that we just assume. Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult to actually examine your beliefs. And so, you know, it doesn't happen very often. And you may, you know, you, you'll, you'll become aware of something and you examine it and change it, but you don't realize the, you know, dozens of other things that you haven't examined in your belief system, in your attitudes, in your actions, things that, you know, and, and people, you know, it's, it's, and, and people generally take, this is, this is one of the interesting things about history. You will see people who will take 
modern sensibilities, modern beliefs, modern practices, and retroactively apply them to historical figures and say, oh, look what he, you know, he did or he didn't do, and, and judge them by modern standards. Folks, the modern standards are just as flawed as the ancient standards. They're just flawed in different ways. And so, you know, you can look at a Jonathan Edwards, you know, great preacher in the 1700s, who, you know, I believe he personally owned slaves. I think so. Um, in Connecticut. You know, remember, don't, don't get all high and mighty if you're in the Northeast. Oh, we fought against slavery. You did, but it had been legal there. Um, I think Jonathan Edwards actually owned slaves. That's one of the big criticisms about him. But, you know, you can look at him and, and the a lot of the same people who are excoriating Jonathan Edwards for his views on slavery would not at all be willing to adopt his probable views on abortion because <laughs> he probably would have seen that for the evil that it is. And, and so the, we all have our evils and every, every culture and every time period has its evils. Um, I mean, just, I mean, the, 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 the stuff going on in our nation right now that, that really is just unacceptable or should be, and yet it's accepted and even championed by intelligentsia, news media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when we, we think about um, you know slavery in the Old Testament, we need to understand the times. And when we, we look at the slavery that's discussed here in Deuteronomy, as I said, this is this was a form of slavery designed to help needy family members. Look at what it says here. If your brother, a Hebrew man or woman, so brother here is you know brethren, if you know your your sibling, not necessarily your immediate sibling, but a brother Hebrew or a sister Hebrew, someone from your tribe, usually from your family, your, your clan within the tribe. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a woman, is sold to you, now the, the circumstances of this would be somebody who got themselves into debt or somebody who just was unable to pay their bills and they would sell themselves to a family member to pay their bills. And it was an indentured servitude. But look what it, it says. It says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. It was not a permanent um, slavery. It was only for six years. Um, almost like thinking about it as a work contract. You come work for me for six years, and I'll pay off your your debts. Um, 
it implied in it, you know, the the provision of a place to stay, of of you know, so basically rent, uh, and and uh, you know, food was all you know all included um, as part of that because you were assuming that responsibility for this person, and so they will serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, you shall let him go to be free from you. Now, this is not the Sabbath year. The Sabbath year was a different thing. Remember, in the Sabbath year, it's a set year. Every seventh year was a Sabbath to the Lord. The whole land was to be um, given a rest. We looked at that yesterday. Because that included the remission of debts and the forgiveness of, of debts every seventh year. This, the six years start when the slave is purchased. However that comes about. That's when the six years start. And so at the end of six years, the seventh year, you let them go free. They have worked off that debt. They have... That was that was all part of it. Now, consider this. With the way this was set up, had it been followed, and again, we we don't we we know the Sabbath years were never followed because Jeremiah says so, and that was why the Babylonian captivity went on for seven years. This probably wasn't followed rigorously either, because we're dealing with, you know, rebellious human beings who aren't apt to follow rules and regulations. Um, you know, people were law-abiding citizens. We wouldn't need police and courts because people would just do what they're supposed to do. I mean, nobody would ever get a speeding ticket if everybody obeyed the speed limit. But you and I both know that you and I don't obey the speed limit all the time, let alone everybody else. And uh, as one guy said, you know, everybody that drives faster than me is an idiot, and everybody that drives slower than me is a fool. You know, <laughs> and I've said, you know, I should have a, a a driving school because if everybody drove the way I do, there wouldn't be any problems on the road. Silly, silly stuff. Um, so we know people don't obey the rules. You know, having the rules, you know, some people will, or try to. Nobody's going to obey them perfectly. Um, I mean, a lot of times you're just driving down the road and you're listening to good music and your foot just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and then you f suddenly see you're going fast. And it wasn't a conscious choice to speed. But you were not paying attention to what you were doing. You were listening to the radio. And we've all done it. So if all of this regulation about forgiveness of debts and everything had been rigorously observed by the Israelites, you wouldn't have anybody with massive debt because you wouldn't have to borrow on top of borrowing. Um, and, and a lot of, I mean, I've, the, the, the student loan racket here in the United States for higher education, it is a racket. We have young people who have no career goals, 
borrowing tens of thousands of dollars to get degrees in worship and worthless subjects. Why? Because somebody's making money. <laughs> um, somebody's taking advantage. The higher education has become an industry, a highly overpriced industry, a highly overpaid industry, and it is a sad statement. And it, it really should be something that we need to to rein in, you know. Um, and, and and it's not that I'm against education. I'm absolutely in favor of education. But I'm not in favor of this education industry where it has become a money-making thing. I mean, you have, you have big schools with multi-million dollar endowments. And people in those schools whose job is simply to manage the, the vast um, assets of the, of the school. They've become a money-making thing. Education is secondary, if, if not even tertiary. It's not a primary, um, it's not the primary focus of the quote-unquote educational system, especially higher education, but lower education too. I mean, I, we've talked many times in the last few years about the indoctrination centers that American education has become. And I will just say once again, if if you are a Christian parent, get your kids out of public schools. You know, think carefully about sending your kids to a secular state university or, or secular private school. You know, get them in a you know, if they, if they need an if they need a university education for their chosen career path, they know where they're going. <laughs> They've got a purpose and a direction. Um, then, you know, see if you can't get them in a good Christian school, or at least get them in a good Christian support group at the state college, <laughs> if that's where they end up going, um, and support college Christian ministries. And if you're a college student and you're thinking, and you know, don't let the college Christian ministry be your church while you're away from home. You're, you're at the college in, in town XYZ. Find a solid local church in town XYZ. And that becomes your home church while you're in college. And that's, that's key. That's really key. Um, got some young people from our church that have ended up going to Bozeman. And uh, we pointed them to some... It was actually funny because there are several people in our church in Frenchtown that have connections to this church in Bozeman. Um, like one of our elders and his wife, were they met there while they were in college. Um, they met at that church. And then the pastor of that church did their wedding. So we've got ties to this church. And so we've had some young people who have left our area to go to the other, to, well, it's Bozeman. And it's Grace Church in Bozeman. I'll just throw it out there. 
because it's a good church. And so, you know, there were several of us urging them as they graduated and went to college in Bozeman, go to Grace Church, get plugged in. And sure enough, I've had, you know, at least one of them tell me, thanks for pointing me to Grace Church. And they've gotten plugged in and they've got a support group to help them stay Christian in college. Um, as I said, I've also given away multiple copies of uh, Surviving Religion 101. I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Surviving Religion 101 by Michael Kruger. I've got a couple of copies up on the shelf there because it's a, one of the books I give away um, to young people heading off to college. You know, provide resources to the young people you know if you're able and help them stay Christian in college. But, the, you know, this is way off topic. <laughs> but obviously this is a topic I feel passionate about. All right, so the, the, the slave, this was part of the, the, the debt relief and help for the poor and essentially it was and and strictly for poor family members um you know you're, you're talking cousins <laughs> if not direct siblings i doubt if i doubt if direct siblings would be here um but cousins or whatnot so the manservant or maidservant serves for six years seventh year you let him go free when you let him go free, you shall not let him go empty-handed. So wait a minute, didn't I pay all of his debts when he came to me? Yes, you did. Well, why then would I um, give him something when he leaves? Because God tells you to. Because <laughs> it's a generous thing. It says, you shall furnish him generously from your flock, and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as Yahweh your God has blessed you. So basically, you pay their debts. They come to work for you for six years. And then you set them up in business as you let them go free. Now, you know, the vast majority of people in ancient times... Actually, the vast majority of people up until like World War One worked in agriculture. Most people grew up on farms. Um, up until very recently, most people grew up on farms, or you know, in a in a rural agricultural environment. Um, you know, farming, ranching. Or, or whatever variation it is taken around the globe. Um, same basic thing. The production of food. That has always been the central part of any civilization because people have to eat. Um, and so everybody worked in agriculture. So he's saying at the end of those six years, you're giving them the resources to provide for themselves. So they worked for you for six years, you paid their debts, and now you're giving them the resources to provide for themselves so they don't get in debt again. There's no free handout here. Think about this. There's no free handout here. They worked for the debt, and they worked 
for the supplies you're giving them to, to, you know, give to them generously from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall bless them as Yahweh your God has blessed you. So it's proportional. You're a very wealthy person. You're, you can afford to be very generous. If you're a moderately wealthy person, you can afford to be moderately generous. You know, if you're a poor person barely getting along, you probably didn't have the resources to help anybody in the first place. And so you wouldn't have had this sort of relationship established. So, you're supposed to do this as God blessed you, and you're supposed to do it because you're remembering that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, that Yahweh your God redeemed you, therefore I'm commanding you this today. So, you know, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, redeemed by God. So when your fellow Israelite is in need and enters into servitude with you, you are basically redeeming them. That's the whole thing. They will, you know, you, you pay their debts. They work for you for six years. And then you release them with everything you need to generate their own um, sustenance. Very important here. This is a, a really interesting... It's not welfare. It's a really interesting um, system for providing for the needy, and it would have worked. <laughs> I said so we don't we don't have a lot of evidence that it was actually put into practice like this, but it would have been nice. Um, and like I said if if they'd have done all of these things, it would have generally relieved poverty in the land because eventually everybody's supposed to have the means to provide for themselves you know they had they had conquered the land they had all the fields and and cities and vineyards and everything that the Canaanites had left they had God had apportioned it according to the tribes so that all the tribes had land and all the you know, clans in the tribes going down to, you know, going down to the individual, this is your plot of land that you're supposed to grow your food on. And the whole system was set up for the people to be self-sufficient. And so that's one of the things that we, we see here is this desire for the people to be self-sufficient in providing for their daily needs all the time understanding that all of this comes from God. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, very important. And remember, you were a slave in Egypt. Yahweh your God redeemed for you. Therefore, I'm commanding this to you today. And it will be that if he says to you, he being the slave, your, your, your brother, you have bought him. He has worked for you for six years. It is now time for his release. It will be that if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you, then you shall take an all 
and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also you shall do likewise to your maidservant. So here is the, the, he served you for six years, or she has served you for six years. It says manservant or maidservant. And they don't want to go out on their own. They want to remain a part of your household. Because they love you, they love your family. They've been family for six years. They love you, they love your family, they want to stay there. They don't want to go um, be responsible for themselves. Um, and so, he says, you know, you take them to the doorpost to your house, and you pierce their ear, and I assume there would be an earring involved, there's no mention of it, but there would be some sign other than just the hole in the ear, because we all know that holes in the ears close up. But I, I, I could picture a, a gold hoop or something, you know, to symbolize this voluntary lifetime relationship. And it's, it's a, it is a master-servant relationship, but at the same time, it's a familial adoption, you know, where you are promising service to somebody else, and it's, but it's, it's voluntary on the part of the servant. And that's very important. So, and then verse 18 says, It shall not seem hard in your sight when you let him go to be free from you, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So Yahweh your God will bless you in whatever you do. Um, the, the, the familial relationship and the, 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 the mode of work would be different. For one, the hours would be different because the slave lives with you eats with you, you know, sleeps in your house, there's a, you know, longer, you know, you can, you can ask your, your slave to do something at, you know, nine o'clock at night when your hired man's already gone home. So there's a, there is a, a continual service there. There's also the belief that this person is going to, out of gratitude, work harder than a hired man. Um, so, you know, there's, but he says, you know, you've had the service of this person for six years. When it comes time to let them go, you don't begrudge them. You, you should be grateful to them and you should reward them for their work. So that was the whole thing. He says, you know, they've given you, you know, he says, God has blessed you. So you bless them. And as you bless them, God is going to bless you. It's a, it really is a beautiful thing. All right. We are not going to look at 19 through 23 today. Um, oh, actually, let's do it real quick. You shall not set apart as holy to Yahweh your God. You're, you shall set apart. <laughs> well, that was, that's kind of like the, the adulterer Bible that said you shall commit adultery. You shall set apart as holy to Yahweh your God all the firstborn males that are born of your hand, born of your herd, 
Boy, now I've lost my ability to enunciate. You shall set apart as holy to Yahweh your God all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock. You shall not work with the firstborn of your herd nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it every year before Yahweh your God in the place which Yahweh chooses. But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to Yahweh your God. You shall eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. So again, this is one of the regulations regarding the sacrifices. And it says, the firstborn of all your flock and your herd. And, and the firstborn of your children are holy to God. Um, the children are to be redeemed with a sacrifice. You offer a sacrifice in the place of your children, the firstborn. And that, you know, is, is uh, um, detailed elsewhere. But the firstborn animals of your flock and of your herd, you and your household shall eat every year before Yahweh your God. So you take the firstborn animal to the temple. It is sacrificed, cooked, and eaten. This is another instance of where you're having a barbecue with God. What a, what a neat, you know, the, these feasts of Thanksgiving... It's not just the festivals, it's throughout the year as time and conditions warrant that you feast. But he says, don't work with them. They're not supposed to be uh, used in the, the labor of your, you know, the firstborn ox. You can't plow with it or any of that. You, you sacrifice it. Don't shear the firstborn of your flock. So this is important. Let's say, you know, you have a sheep and it's a while before you can take that firstborn sheep to Jerusalem. Don't shear it in the meantime. You know, the sheep and all its wool are holy to God. But what about the defective animal? It's lame, it's blind, it has some other serious infect. It says you don't sacrifice that to Yahweh but you still don't work with it. You still don't shear it. You kill it and eat it. And you eat it in, at home, and you share it with those who are within your gates. So you, shall not, you shall eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it, as a gazelle or a deer. There are conditions, and I think we've mentioned this before because it's come up before. There were conditions that would cause somebody to be ceremonially unclean. Um, it could be a permanent uncleanness like leprosy. These animals could be shared with lepers. Um, you weren't out. You weren't allowed to sit and eat with them, but you could give them food, and you couldn't come close to them. So you would have to actually take it, leave it, and leave, and then they would come and take it. Um, 
But, you know, so the unclean and the clean alike may eat it. There were daily occurrences that could cause somebody to be ceremonially unclean. Um, women in their monthly cycles. Um, people who have had to touch a dead body. You know, these, pe these are people who would be ceremonially unclean. It's not a moral thing. It's just uh, these are some of the prohibitions God had on who can come and worship him. So if you are ceremonially unclean, you can't go to the temple and sacrifice an animal and eat of the sacrifice until you have been cleansed. But you can eat of these animals at home if it's a defective, blind animal, lame animal, etc., but don't eat the blood. The life is in the blood. You're to pour it out on the ground like water. So um, we've seen some of these prohibitions before, like the eating of blood. Um, but here is just another one of these provisions about reminding you that the firstborn of your herd and the firstborn of your flock is holy to God. And you need to observe that as you, you know, Again, this is this is rules for Israel. These are not rules for us today, but it is something that that we need to uh, be aware of. Um, are there practical implications for us today? I think so. One is, you know, help the needy, but don't help the needy without any return. You know. It's interesting that the the way of helping the needy in ancient Israel wasn't handouts. They had to work. And, you know, it was a serious commitment on their part and a serious commitment on the person part of the person helping them, but they didn't get a free handout. Now, there would be smaller scale handouts, you know, the the forgiveness of debts in every seventh year that we saw. That was the that was the smaller scale loaning generously, I need fifty bucks till payday sort of thing. But the the slavery thing was somebody who was seriously and un characteristically in debt so that it was it was a much more drastic action that was required and it wasn't just a handout it was you got to work for it so remember if a man will not work neither let him eat is the, the new testament says so all right let us now recite our faith in the words of the apostles creed i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost.
Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Colic for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day. Defend us by your mighty power, that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger, and that, guided by your Spirit, we may do what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Colic for the Unrepentant Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Wednesday morning. I hope you have the best of days. Remember, at lunchtime, you're halfway through the week. We're heading towards church on Sunday, which is where we want to be. As you go through the day, remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.